Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. The, med- the Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, and that means it is time for The Art of the CEO, the show for people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. How do you do? I am your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business. And whether you are a distillery owner like Jeffrey, who has just resurrected a, quote, new 18th century single malt scotch and is trying to market it, or perhaps you're a dedicated public servant like Art, who after years of contributing is trying to manage your way into a comfortable and deserved retirement. Either way, we are here to bring you the Sage Council of Business Masters to help your career and your business. Today's episode is entitled, The Business Folks Who Made America. Yes, today we are going to help everybody celebrate this Friday, July 4th, and our 238th year of glorious American independence by bringing to light some of those business personalities who have made this great land, and I do mean this very unique and wonderfully great land, which serves as a model to so many others. Anyway, we are going to bring those to light to let you see just the hand that business has played within America. And if you would allow me to depart for a moment, I would like to invite our listeners to take a couple of moments as I read two verses from that inspiring song, America the Beautiful. And I would ask that you pause to reflect on the many good and wonderful things that this land of America provides for you and for all your peoples. And here it is. O beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains' majesties above the fruited plain. America, O America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. O beautiful for patriots' dream that sees beyond the years thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. America, America, May God thy gold refine, till all success be nobleness, and every gain divine. Our many thanks to Miss Catherine Lee Bates for those beautiful sentiments which she wrote so many years ago. And now we will move on to our revelation about America's business folks. But before we reveal and tell all, let me take a few moments to supply you out there with a few utensils for our feast. First... As I always do, allow me to remind each of you individuals hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. Um, This is the most important role you will play in your life. So will this be the day that you consider the gift of time and employ your best abilities to manage it? Or will you put off your plans for fulfillment and continue in a comfortable routine? The choice is truly yours. Secondly, it is time to dip into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from 101 Best Business Quips. So let me grab the book here. And hold on. Okay, here we are. Here we are. Uh, This is number 55. Many people say that I cannot sing, but let no one say that I did not sing. 
Those were the inspired words of Mrs. Florence Foster Jenkins in 1944. Uh, and as an afterthought, she was unlikely, unconventional, and admittedly without gifts of tone, pitch, or rhythm. Florence Jenkins would rent Carnegie Hall at her own expense and belt out her best versions of opera's greatest arias. So, and she got terrible critical critical acclaim because she really didn't have the talent. But, like her, don't let the anvils of doubt drag your coattails down. You go like Florence. Try it and take the risk. Third utensil, perhaps this day's uh, we should call the fish forks since we're uh, moving away from England, we will give you the answers to last week's business quotation. Now today, before we leave the air, we'll broadcast another quotation, and we invite you to email us with the name that you believe uh, the author to be. That is, who said this line? Simply write info at bartsbooks.com, I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you are uh, correct, we will send you a gift and announce your name on the air. The author of last week's quote, that is the individual who said, if, I, if you had to identify in one word the reason why the human race has not achieved and never will achieve its full potential, I would say that word must be meetings. Uh, the speaker of that was none other than the king of comic wit, Dave Barry. So now, let us dig into today's feast and call upon the many business individuals who have made America what we blessedly have today. It's show and tell time. So first, let us consider one of America's great business stampedes. Uh, not the first stampede, about 20 millennia ago, in which brave men and women became the first Americans, while in the process of chasing woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers across the Pleistocene land bridge. No, no, no. We're speaking of the European venturists, those land and nobility and merchant princes of 1600 and the early 1700s, who saw America as a land of opportunity for their ample surplus funds. For instance, let's begin with the Pilgrims of the Mayflower in 1620. That's, uh, that was the group of individuals from whom more people claim ancestry than could fit on all the British Isles. Well, they came to form the Plymouth Plantation. Uh, that was their goal, that is. But to get a boat and to get permission for a land grant from the king, they formed the London Company and sold shares to all the investors and all those with noble titles uh, with an opening IPO of $250 approximately each, measured out in shillings. And as a model of government, the Mayflower Compact proved an excellent success. They set the stage for for our democracy. In fact, like all great European powers, they also persecuted uh, those like Roger Williams, who suggested an alternative to the state religion. So they were right well on the way uh, politically. However, as a capitalistic venture, it was a dismal failure. The Mayflower really sank once it hit land. Its primary goal of the uh, London Company, that is the uh, Plymouth Plantation, uh, was to enrich the stockholders and turn over a great profit to them and then work on their own private fund fundings. This 
never happened. Everybody who invested a dime in it lost it all. The group almost starved at the, after their first year. And thank heavens for the Native Americans who helped them out of the mess. But uh, everyone lost their shirt in that one. Meanwhile, down south, the Virginians were having business disasters of their own. In 1606, King Charles, who was known as the king who never said a foolish thing and never did a wise one. Anyway, good old Charles gave charter to the London Company and to the Virginia Company. And instantly, the uh, British nobility jumped on board with two rumored promises. First, there was the rumor spread that there was gold and silver aplenty in Virginia. And secondly, which I find most interesting, they were telling the uh, the merchant princes and the nobility that you could expect return uh, on this farm plantation investment of an unprecedented 5%. There was not a lot of open fiscal instruments lying around in Europe at the time, and the idea of making anything on your money at all was uh, very happy, and 5% was considered great. Well, unfortunately, uh, not all roads across the Atlantic run smooth. Overwhelmed, the Virginia Company started off overcapitalized with tons of money and, and each new ship carrying the hopes of um, high-level merchants and landed dukes and earls and lordlings. But alas, in 1610, the settlement proved a total disaster with 480 per uh, of the 600 colonists starving to death, no gold or silver was unearthed. In fact, not uh, one of the original investors got anything back until 25 years later when John Rolfe began planting some of the sweeter strains of tobacco. And at that point, the profits began rolling in. Meanwhile, all the original investors were down out and lost it all. So, but the tobacco profits became rolling in, and so what does the king do? Well, he does what every king has ever done uh, in history. He disbanded the Virginia Company and turned Virginia into a royal colony with all the profits going to guess whose coffers. Yes, the good old king and all the successive kings and, of course, the state. And twas ever thus, and, tax, and that set the framework for what we call taxes, yes, which has always been the bitter, sweet trouble for Americans. Uh, I know many of many people, including my wife's husband, who would claim the same thing today. In fact, um, the next series of business ventures were what uh, really formed our original foment with England, and this is a little cute. It's not, uh, not it's not quite how it, how it turns out. How we are taught that it all turned out. By the 1770s, the American colonists had taken the land of the free and turned it into the land of the profitable. The businesses were burgeoning everywhere, and we had folks like John Jacob Astor, who quit making musical instruments and went on into the fur trade. He, uh, John, by the way, outsourced all the labor of actually getting the furs to the Indians. Basically, he ran guns to the Indians. He would 
come out with a cheap rifle, and some of them were so cheap they darn near fell apart, but he would go to the Indians and say, you can have a rifle, provided you give me a stack of furs as high as the rifle. So he naturally started making the barrels longer and longer and longer to the point where they were almost unwieldy for the poor Indians, but they desperately wanted the guns, so what can we say? He became our first, uh, our nation's first multimillionaire. And then he bought up half of Manhattan, it seemed, and uh, his wife had society, and that's the 400, and all life went well for him. But uh, some of the others who became our founding fathers, such as Ben Franklin and the Adams family, were also getting along very well, but in the export and import trade. Uh, and this worked well until they ran into the royal privilege of British taxes in 19 I'm sorry in 1773 the, they faced the Tea Act now Americans had made a great fortune smuggling tea that is paying no duty on it whatsoever and they'd also privateered and robbed a great deal of it and so this was working wonderfully Samuel Adams and his brother John had become rich off of tea smuggling and couldn't bear the competition from the British East India Company, and which the uh, 1773 TX sort of favored, they said. I mean, that was a thing asked uh, because the king had his paws in, in the East India Company. He says, we'll let you dump your surplus tea and we'll uh, on the colonies. They'll buy it. What the heck? And we'll, and we'll get rid of the smuggling. So our answer with that was the Boston Tea Party and the Greenwich, New Jersey Tea Party. Yes, we had one in Greenwich, New Jersey also. And we dumped all the tea in the harbor, and the smugglers thought maybe we'll be able to go on and keep doing what we're doing. Uh, alas, they found more taxes came, and unfortunately the Adams had to start uh, being like other merchants and competing on the regular scale. So... The Tea Act, which gave America cheaper tea, was one of the regular fomenting forces in the revolution, led, uh, started by a band of merchants. And a little tidbit in that was when Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote the words uh, in his declaration saying that we have the right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness there were several who uh, in, wanted to change that to say life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, which gives you an idea of the merchant backing that we were going on there. Ladies and gentlemen, at this point, I would like to take a brief sorbet in our feast, and it's time to introduce the company by whose good graces we are here today. That firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of the Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit bartsbooks.com, that's www.bartsbooks.com, and explore a wide wealth of business tools. We invite you to take a look at, when you come to our uh, website, take a look at the business uh, bookstore, and look at such books as You Only Retire Once, The Nine Deadly Mistakes of Retirement, by noted financial analyst Roy Williams, and we also invite you to, to to browse through the preview section of Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself, which contains the very practical counsel of some of the globe's cleverest ladies. 
And finally, if you'd like to, a little laughter in your business day, be sure to sign up for our business quips. They come right to your door through cyberspace uh, every week for free. You'll get a new one and a little laughter to share. That's on BartsBooks.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, and those rather bizarre folks in the back room who fall into neither category, we allow us to return to our tortured review of America's amazing businesses and all the people who helped carve out our country as we know it today. Now, this one, uh, we have now come to the point where the Americans have, be, uh, where the people of America have so- stopped thinking of themselves as colonists and started thinking of themselves as rebels and members of the United States, or at least of the uh, Confederacy of American States. But we, they, uh, in 1776, the battles began, as we all know, of the American Revolution, and we were sort of holding our own for uh, in the beginning. But George Washington, while he was a fabulous commander and a presence on the field and a man of immense personal power, had was not really what one would call the best strategist in the world. As a matter of fact, many of the things he did were almost as dumb as some of what his British foes did. And at one point, uh, on September 15th in 1776, George had gathered the entire American force on the island of Manhattan, which is not a wise move. But So the British, seeing this, landed at uh, Kipps Bay, and General Howe took his troops in, and they were literally driving the rebels into the sea. They had a superior force, and in about two hours, the entire American Revolution was just about to end in a very bitter and rapid defeat. Enter the socialite wife of Quaker merchant Robert Murray. Now, nobody knows the intentions behind this. Nobody knows if Merchant Robert Murray put his wife up to this, as some say he did, because he knew that his own import business would thrive. We do not know. But at any rate, the British forces are driving the Americans into the sea. Then... Uh, and a finely suited butler comes up to General Howe on a horse and says, Well, I see you are passing by, General. Of course you will be joining us for tea. To which General Howe and the senior staff said, Well, absolutely. You just tell Mrs. Murray that, that we will be thrilled to join her. We have a, a little fighting to do here, but we'll, we can certainly take a break and end that, and we'll, we'll go for tea. So they all traipsed across the field, that is the senior staff and General Howe, traipse across the field, stop the war completely. You can't make this stuff up. If you put it in a movie, no one would believe it. Anyway, they stop at the field, traipse into Mrs. Murray's house, and she feeds them tea. Now, the British soldiers being much smarter than their commanders, they could see this. They could see, this is the end of it, gang. We are going to, we're going to wrap these guys up we're going to get it all done, and we'll defeat the Americans. We all get to go home. But uh, so they escaped, they kept firing. They ignored the order to uh, General Howe's order to keep fighting them, and they kept on going. Well, this absolutely incensed the British uh, 
officers. And somewhere, if you crawl around deep enough, dark enough, in the British Museum, you will find a painting that is not very well lit or publicized, I speak from experience, that shows the uh, the, Ameri- the British officers beating their own men on their backs with the flats of their swords to have them stop firing on the Americans and uh, listen to General Howe's orders so the whole battle could stop and uh, the general could, of course, have his tea. I mean, he is British, you know. Well, it worked. And the Americans got some boats. They, Thanks to Israel Putnam and the general... They all escaped to fight another day, and guess what? That's why God invented Yorktown. We won, and we have America today. And I think we all owe both Robert and Mrs. Mary Lindley Murray a great deal of thanks for that. (laughs) By the way, Mary's son, Lindley, went on to become one of New York's top lawyers, wrote 11 books, which absolutely dominated the American educational scene for two generations it goes to show you never know (laughs) well uh america has tropped along trooped along and the business of america has always remained business so now let's look at uh two of our less noble sons of trade jay gould and james fisk they existed about a little before they got into the stock market a little bit before the uh civil war and they were great corruptors of the market they built a fortune by uh spreading vast rumors that companies would fall buying it buying it at low prices and then take was publishing a reverse rumor and the stock went up and they did very well there very well uh but they didn't have quite all they needed uh, for their railroad plans. So after the Civil War, they decided that they would go down and help out the generals of the Civil War by handling the confiscated cotton. Now, what that means is that they went down and cotton stood on the wharves uh, ready to go to be shipped, but it was belonged to, uh, obviously, the Confederates and uh enemies of the United States Republic. So they would, uh, so Mr. Gould and Jim Fisk would pop over to the generals. They would bribe the general and they'd say, we'll get that cotton off your hands. We'll get that cotton. They'd put it on their own ship, send it over to England, interestingly, to be milled and made a bloody fortune. They came back very rich. So what did they do? Well, they put all their money in a trunk. And they in they went to the Washington Ambassador Hotel, and they sat there and they put out a call. They wanted to get the Erie Railroad and some others. They wanted to buy it, and they were and they wanted to get laws passed for right of way. And this was a very very tricky, difficult thing because eminent domain was not what it was in 1867, what it is now in 1867. It was very tough to push people off their land. But they bribed the congressman. They sat on this trunk of money. They opened it up. Congressmen went for 10,000. Senators went for 15. And they literally had it all wrapped up in bundles. The congressman came. And then, with that, uh, Jay Gould and Jim Fisk bought the Erie Railroad and 
from which they were then forced out. And later they got the Union Pacific, which uh, went on to complete the Transcontinental Railway. And this was how many of our railroads came to be built. So uh, that not two of our sh- shining lights in terms of ethical trade, but that is the way some things work sometimes, I'm alas. And as a final one, though, I would like to turn to uh, someone who has a, a, a gentleman of business who was utterly uh, steadfast, moral, and an excellent person. He was the founder of the chain store in America, as far as anyone can tell. And it landed him both in the White House and the Poor House. The, it was President Jackson. Yes, it was. An uh, old, old hickory. He was the seventh pr- president of the United States. But he, had, he was a. started this store of. this chain of dry goods stores. And it get in Tennessee, and it kept expanding and expanding, and it did wonderfully. But then it all collapsed, and so he had to uh, sell everything. And you perhaps have heard of Andrew Jackson's uh, great home, the Hermitage. That was because he moved out of town to avoid all the creditors from his fallen stores. These things happen, but he paid back every one, every penny. And so, ladies and gentlemen. There's business that is shoddy, but there are people like Andrew Jackson who have conducted business well all the way through their lives. So I want you to know that good things have happened and they still continue to happen by those who build and contribute. Our hats off to all of you out there who are contributing to American business and who are helping making our country what it is. Truly, you have my appreciation and all of our appreciation. So at this point, uh, as we round out the show today, I'd like to leave you with a business quotation and then our final quotation, that is, who said a meeting is an event at which minutes are kept and hours are lost? It's an old saying, but who was the one who publicly said it most recently? And the hint is, he probably had more of these meetings than any man alive. And and so now, and if you remember the author of that quote, or you think you know who authored that quote, just write the quote down as best you remember it. Don't forget the, to add the author's name. Send it in, and if you are a winner, we will read your name in the air, and we have a small prize for you. So, And don't forget to sign it so we can contact you. Finally, as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, I want you to think of this, that Copernicus was correct. The world does not revolve around you personally. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a privilege. I thank you so much. Good afternoon.